You are listening to a Nerd Room podcast production. We the Nerd. Bunch of nerds. We're Eternals. We came here 7,000 years ago to protect humans from the deviants. Why didn't you guys help fight Thanos? Or any war, all the other terrible things throughout history? We were instructed not to interfere in any human conflicts unless deviants are involved. By who? Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 295 of the Nerd Room Podcast, where we are hitting all things eternal. I'm going to be your maestro for tonight, Carlos, and I'm joined by my two compatriots, Tim and Troy. But also, from the land of the rising sun, we have the newest member of the Nerd Room family, our boy Tokyo Joey, Ian. Welcome, my friend. Yo, thanks guys. Thank you for, well... For inviting me onto the team, uh, and yeah, this is this is man, this is super exciting. I can't believe that I'm actually on the Nerd Room podcast, and I'm super happy, man. Like, hopefully, I'll be on these shows as often as I can, and yeah, man, I'm looking forward to sharing some positivity and maybe a little negativity with you today. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, man, it's all good, and yeah, you gotta, you just gotta be you. Give us your true self. That's why we brought you in. So it uh, it was a pretty funny conversation. It was a lot like asking Ian to join the podcast family. It was a lot like uh, Ben Affleck's Batman asking Ezra Miller's Flash uh, if he wants to be part of the Justice League. It's like, <laughs> stop right there. I'm in. <laughs> Man, and what a show to be making your debut on. It's our first film review, week of film review, MCU film review, specifically since Far From Home, since 2019. We have not done a weekend wow. release review for an MCU film. Yeah, it's super exciting. I think he was, you know, when you first invite me onto the show, he was a little scary just because such a big movie, such a big responsibility talking about this. So, hey man, we'll see how it goes. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. This isn't this isn't Zack Snyder's Justice League. This is the Eternals. So, <laughs> and just on that point, the Eternals, the Eternals, the Eternals. This this thing is a powder keg of a film as far as the discourse goes and all the conversations leading up to it and everything else. But uh, yeah, why don't you fellas kind of let me know where your headspace was at uh, heading into this one. And, you know, as I like to do, we'll take a little bit of that pressure off because, you know, it's like reining in those horses galloping towards that uh, final opinion on the movie. So why don't you let me know where your head was at going into this one and just your high level thoughts after seeing it one or two sentences and uh you know what ian why don't you take the honors man uh well i mean going into the film i think this was this was a an unusual one uh, mainly because i think every other mcu movie that you know was coming up i was super excited about seeing it and something was about this something about this movie i was just not at the same level like i wasn't hyped about this movie i don't know if it was down to how it was promoted or whether it's because I didn't really know much about the Eternals. So I wasn't really that pumped for this movie and I couldn't really put my finger on it. Um, but yeah, I went, made sure that I watched it on day one. And yeah, I mean, I went in there, you know, hearing from other people and what they thought about it. And, 
you know, I think you and me, Carlos, had, had a little talk. You'd seen it just before me. Mm-hmm. And that kind of brought me down to a certain level. So I kind of went in there with, with not many expectations. And yeah, after I watched it the first time, like, to be honest, I was kind of confused. Like, I knew I'd enjoyed the movie, but I didn't really know how I felt about it. It was kind of weird. Like, I was never bored, but I was never really emotionally invested in anything through the movie. So it was kind of an odd one. So it took me two watches. Like, I did have to go and watch it again. And then, yeah, my thoughts became a little a little clearer. And I, to be honest, I do think I enjoyed it more the second time but at the same time i do think it had its flaws and i do have some criticisms at the same time man i love that you basically encapsulated all that has been twitter since uh, thursday night <laughs> in that in that little review there so so to quote another bruce this uh, podcast review is like a powder keg and tim is the match so timbo <laughs> let me know where you were at before during and after on this one, man. <laughs> well, you know I where know. I was after. <laughs> I was in Toys R Us looking for Eternals figures. <laughs> <laughs> no. So going into this one, like we had talked last week, I thought, you know, this isn't my most anticipated MCU film of all time. You know, that's reserved for your Cap films, for your Endgames, Infinity Wars. But this one I was intrigued about i was actually quite pleased about the discourse because i thought that meant that this film was going to be different it was going to subvert all of those expectations and that's what people were upset about it wasn't the blueprint marvel mcu film that we've come to love and enjoy and that had me intrigued and a little bit excited going in it was great because there's only seven people in my theater when i went and saw it (laughs) so that helped me with my covid anxieties but when I walked out, I didn't have quite the same experience as Ian. Ian, just watching him describe this, he had this, to me, this perplexed look on his face. And almost that Last Jedi experience that I was worried about coming out of this, where it's like, I was supposed to love this, but I'm not quite sure where I stand. And I didn't quite have that experience. I walked out thinking, yes, I see the flaws here, but I do see the highlights. And I do see where the story was successful but I can also acknowledge where maybe it falls down a little bit. Ultimately, if I want to undo that pressure a little bit, I have to say that I enjoyed this film and I enjoyed the direction that it went, but it felt very much like a foundational film for something much bigger. And we'll of course get into that. And I think maybe that's, that's potentially where it falters a little bit. It's telling a very large story somewhat intimately with a unique story construction and it it is building into a grander narrative of some sort and that's uh, that's where i'll leave that one all right excellent troy my man you and i sure. we're, we're always riding side saddle with each other man you 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 can take it for yourself or you can probably just give the thoughts for both of us brother but uh <laughs> let me know where you were at before and then after this thing yeah yeah so i think it's, it's no secret um Anybody that's been listening for a little while, um, I haven't really been interested at all in in this property. Um, I don't know, man. Being a guy that's uh, all about ensemble films or even just characters, you know, when you have like the Avengers, the X-Men, the Ninja Turtles, the Fantastic Four, the Justice League. Um, there's so many elements that I love of all those teams. And even, even in some ways, even in humans, coming into the Eternals, though, I've never, ever cared for this property. So... I went in with expectations to just lower everything and just be wowed. 
by one, the, you know, raving chap, the Oscar winning director, uh, Chloe Zhao, see what she can do. I love the Game of Thrones actors. Um, so I thought, okay, like this could be something good. And man, it was, uh, it wasn't horrible by any means, like the 53, the 49% rating they got. I don't think that's very deserved, but man, this is nothing to brag home about. I just felt it was pretty mediocre. And, um, I like I told Carlos, man, I mean, if you want Prometheus, order it off Wish and you've got Eternals. I just, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Some of, the, some of these shots, um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming off of watching Dune. I, I like the scope of Dune was like, wow, look at this. And you know what Denny Villeneuve can do already. You know what really Scott can do. And um, seeing some of these shots, I'm like, yeah, it's it's okay. Your budget was probably bigger than all those films I just mentioned, and it still turned out flat. So that kind of lands on the director. But um, and the chemistry, man, I just talked about ensemble. We'll get into all this stuff, but I really felt like I didn't care at all for any of these eternal characters, beings, whatever you want to call them. There was there was maybe one that there's I two i bet you there's two by. that when we talk about there's two, two, there's yeah, two yeah, characters yeah, I I it's the I same for everyone that you actually gave okay the okay we'll yeah. see we'll <laughs> see we'll see man but uh yeah uh I, I got no interest in seeing this again like like ian i give you mad props for going in there two times and all film subjective i mean on the other end people absolutely love this film but for me this is definitely a one and done not shazam level i won't ever bash it at that level but it's uh it's a one and done and wipe my hands clean from this film. Come on, yeah, Troy. it didn't look like it was filmed in Toronto, but uh, <laughs> man, you 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 did totally do it. You, you basically gave uh, the the high level thoughts for both of us. Um, but Carlos, I got yeah, I got to ask one question here. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but Troy, you got to give your proper review here, man. It was the best review I've ever heard. One liner. This should be on the front <laughs> box of the steel book. <laughs> Troy, what did you say in the DM about this film? What was your exact quote coming out of the theater yeah i think i said i came out of the theater you guys hit you in the dm and i said it's the most okay mcu film of all yeah time. <laughs> <laughs> that's where mm, it says my favorite <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i gotta echo a lot of what my boy said like that's that's kind of where i felt i i think i was a little more excited to see where this was going to come from uh, with a break from, we had heard that it was going to be a break from the formula of the MCU. And while I didn't like No Man Land at all, I do think that Chloe Zhao is a very interesting director. So I was hopeful to see what she would bring. But uh, yeah, like I said, Troy said it all for me. But if I was going to give a one sentence review of this thing, it's like the Chloe Zhao parts were inspired and the Marvel Studios bits were kind of tired. You could tell that this was. Much like the Eternals, where this is a product of two worlds and where there's two kind of competing visions and approaches to it. And you end up with something that uh, is maybe not as good as it could have been had they just kind of gone one way entirely or another way. But uh, it is what it is. So we touch on a few things there as far as the reception to this goes. So uh, I think we're going to actually bring this into the review. It's something that I don't typically like to do, but um, it's been such a huge, like a massive part of the conversation before the movie even got released. Like that Rotten Tomato score, that thing was like Erishim showing up in the sky and blocking out the sun because it enveloped everything to do with this movie. So when I checked last night as I was doing up the notes for the show, it was sitting at a 48% critical score on Rotten Tomatoes. 
And, uh, you know, it had the 81% audience score, but that's like a locked score. And you got to think that's going to be all your highly invested people that are going to actually log in, write a review for it, and and off you go, right? So you get those people that are too, super invested in popping up the MCU, and you'll get those people that are just ready to sharpen their knives and cut it down type of thing. So uh, I don't really hold too much stock in an audience score until after, like, 18 months when people have viewed it on their own time and are reviewing it without any kind of agendas. But um, the one that was interesting to me was that it had a B cinema score. So the B cinema score is actually the lowest cinema score in the MCU. And just with the way the cinema score works for anybody that's not familiar with it is that they will randomly poll audiences opening day they give people a card and the card asks like is this something that you would buy on home video is it something you'd rent would you recommend it is the marketing effective i think is another one and then you give it a <clears throat> a score and generally for any kind of big franchise ip type movie any variation of an a is good obviously an a plus which is something like a black panther would get is what you're aiming for and you've got a surefire hit that's going to set the world on fire a is excellent. A minus is still pretty good. And then the Bs, you're starting to get shaky. Like a B plus um, is something that like a, uh, I can't even remember what, I think Thor like got Venom a B plus. Venom was a B plus. Yeah, and Venom was a B plus. But like with a B, you don't really know what you're going to get. Like the two that stuck out for me with a B was like Green Lantern and Batman vs Superman got bees and we kind of saw what the audience reception to those was but uh, and the reason that those scores go that way is your opening night audience is going to be your most enthusiastic mm -hmm. your most invested audience in these types of movies right and so that metric will change depending on the genre but that's basically uh, what the mindset is and what <clears throat> they assess when looking at the cinema score for these types of movies so you know, it had a pretty banger of an opening weekend. Uh, 71 million domestic box office, which is a little less than Shang-Chi. Uh, but what do you guys think? Like, as far as the Rotten Tomato scores and the cinema score and even its opening weekend box office. And I'll kick this one off. I'll be honest. Like, I'm pretty shocked at the Rotten Tomatoes score because there's a pile of movies in the MCU that I think deserve rotten scores. And I'm flabbergasted that this is the one that actually got a rotten score. Um, just comparing it against other films in the genre. I, I truly do not understand how something like Ant-Man and the Wasp would get a positive score, but yet the Eternals, which actually tried some stuff and had a lot of artistic merit to it. Uh, would end up where it is uh, at the hands of the critics, but um, is what it is, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out into the future. But uh, yeah, Timbo, you you've got the highest investment in this man. You're like you're just about chewing on that mic. If we had the video up with this <laughs> podcast, it's hilarious. But man, let me know. Let me know your thoughts on this one. It's it's hard for me sometimes to play color commentator on these podcasts. Not oh, just barge my way I, into conversations. I know, man. I, I feel like uh, I feel like Batman in that trailer, just walking through the bullets. <laughs> <laughs> no, but when I when I look at these scores, and I know we talk about Rotten Tomatoes, we did last week, and it is something that we used to gauge 
more relatively where films go. But I agree with you in your sentiments there when you look at this score and this movie, and I, I fully agree with Troy's assessment. This is like a middle of the pack MCU. This -hmm. should be in your like mid to low seventies, maybe. I don't know. But it, to me, the effect of rotten tomatoes, it just felt like a dog pile at some point that it was almost an opportunity for critics to say, no, 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 I don't support everything MCU. Look, I gave this a bad score because this thing continuing to tumble throughout all of the additional critical reviews going into this, it just felt like it was, I, I I don't know why it's continuing to fall in this direction, which I'm not, I don't know if it's like a score aggregate, like you give it like a, a, ten, like a seven out of 10, and then a whole bunch of people have to give it a, a two or a three for it to pull down that average like that. No. So the way it works is that we'll review it. So all four of us will review it and we will each give our score. And our score is, honestly irrelevant to what the tomato meter quote unquote is what happens is after you finish your review and your scoring you then with a binary selection you choose either to rate the movie as rotten or as positive it's always interesting i read a few reviews and they're kind of skewed semi-positive but people would rate them rotten or there was reviews that were clearly the person did not like the movie but they still rated Mm -hmm. it positively um but that that is how that tomato meter is generated. It, it's not, you know, sevens and twos. So it's and like a binary else. thing. It's a black and white thing. Yeah. So if you're a certified critic, you choose whether your review is positive or fresh or rotten, and then that's what they. And so it'll pull down the average the more and more rotten reviews you get. So you're having to have like for every positive, you're having to have like three or four rotten reviews going in there to continue to pull down that average to that like sub fifty place and so this is where i feel like it's just like let's pile on to this thing and this is where sometimes maybe those critical reviews especially the ones that come out within the following week or three or four days after i don't know how much you can actually i don't know how much you can actually trust any of it to be honest with you because it, it just it was like batman versus superman right it was like watching that the bottom fall out of that like i don't like that movie but like 27 percent, like that's that's wild and that just kept falling through the weekend and so it, i think the thing I would like to highlight is that go just go see the film for yourself. Like when you look at the cinema scores, like everything's a B unless it's like a, an A plus or whatever. And then this, it's just, I, I it's definitely not in this sub 50% category and it's definitely not the worst film in the history of the MCU. That is for sure. And so it, yeah. it's, it's, I don't know what it is about this. If it just, everyone swings towards a direction you, know, you see this on the internet all the time, right? It's like, let's pile on this thing, and everyone piles that direction, and then that's just the way it goes. But at the same time, this generated an absolute mountain of discussion online. You know, maybe not always positive discussion, but people have not stopped talking about this film. Yeah. No, and like I said, I'm probably most surprised at the cinema score because it is just people mm-hmm. being pulled out of theaters and, like, whatever cities that they do it in kind of thing. So... Um, there might be something to it. it. The dichotomy was funny because on my left side, I had a young lady who was obviously very invested and loving every minute of it. And on my right side, I had my daughter who was the same age as this young lady who like was viscerally angry. In fact, she, she quasi yelled at me because we were walking out of the theater and she saw the poster for Last Night in Soho and Sonny was tweeting about going to Last Night in Soho and she's like, we could have been seeing that. And I was like, well, why don't you go live with Sanjay? <laughs> <laughs> where, where is that guy? 
<laughs> Absorbing cinema. So yeah, well said, yes. Ian, my man. What do you think of all the discourse and scoring and all that kind of stuff? And like I said, it's not something we typically yeah. spend a lot of time on, but it's just such a massive part of the conversation with this movie. Yeah, I think you guys have touched on a lot of a lot of good points. I mean, I think there's other things in play here. Like, I I totally don't agree with that score, and I think it is pretty ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I often look at like Metacritic, Metacritic as a website, and even they're on a, a 52, and they go with you know positive and like mixed reviews. Um, and yeah, it seems weird. Like I think there are a lot of people who do jump on the bandwagon and and start to go, you know, either really like or really don't like. And then I think as well, like these reviewers, they work for for these websites and stuff, and they're getting so much attention from from this movie. And you know, you look at the comments on on Twitter for all these different places on these different sites and. They give a negative review and all these people are bashing it. And I think, you know, sometimes people just like to complain about stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially with something like the MCU where it's everything's been super positive. And because it's something so different, like people probably went into this movie expecting to just have a good time and have fun with it. And, you know, it kind of threw them off a little. And there's a lot of different things in this movie. Like there could be things about it that just people just don't connect with or... You know, the fact that it has such a diverse cast and people might think that that was forced or, I don't know, people just seem to like nitpick and, and find things. And, I, you know, I look at a lot of these reviews and I do feel like there's something really weird mm-hmm. going on. I don't think it's justified. I mean, I watched, what was it, um, Army of Thieves on Netflix the other day and that's got like 70 something, man. And like that film, like I could not stand that <laughs> film, man. Like I sat through it, but that was just... That was terrible. And then I watched um, Finch, the new Tom Hanks movie the other day, and that's like in the 70s. And I'm like, well, this is like, you know, it's got one actor in the whole movie and not much happened. And it's like mid-70s. Mm. And Eternals, you know, it does a lot of good things and it's it's got a lot of interesting parts and it tries some new new things and it deserves a lot more praise than I think it's getting. I just, I just don't know how reviewers approach reviews these days you know what are they actually looking for click click and <laughs> is it click, click yeah exactly that's that's probably what it is so yeah i'm i mean like i think it, it's pretty it's pretty stupid and when you do look at some of the the comments especially in the audience reviews you just like <laughs> someone giving a review a zero like a movie a zero you can't like a zero like <laughs> what because you didn't like one part of the movie you give it a zero it's it's a weird one and yeah, I mean, like you're saying, like funny stories about people next to you. I went to the toilet after watching that movie, and there was a guy waiting be- behind me, and he's like, uh, he was speaking Japanese, but he was asking where Thanos was, and I'm just like, you know, these are the people who go to watch these movies. Like, I was actually really surprised. I went on day one, and it was super hard to get tickets, and like the audience were a weird group. Like, you know, there were middle-aged housewives and. Um, you know, all these trendy kids going in. And I don't think people really knew what they were expecting. And I think it could be, you know, the same everywhere. Like people went in expecting one thing and because they got something very different, it might have affected their their um, impression of, of the movie. 
I mean, like you, you made a good point earlier. I think Troy, Troy was saying coming off Dune, like it's the same. Like I was even making that comparison, and I thought like aesthetically it was going to look very similar. And because it didn't, and you know that there was a lot of money behind this, and you knew the creatives behind this, even I was making those comparisons. And with Dune being such an amazing, such an immersive experience, and me watching it so recently. I think that also would have affected people's opinions mm -hmm. of, of the movie. That was the most shocking part for so, me yeah. was that the scope, I thought it was going to be this humongous film and there's parts that feel like it was filmed in a box. <laughs> oh, yeah. you, you could yeah. see the volume. Yeah. Like you were, yes. I, I could imagine the cast of the Mandalorian just waiting outside the door <laughs> so that they could come on and do their <laughs> stuff Yeah. once their filming time was done. <laughs> Troy, how about yes, you, sir. man? I know, uh, I know you were kind of on the same page where it's like, yeah, I don't love this yeah. movie, but I don't think it's deserving of the the flogging that it's getting but uh yeah where yeah. do you fall on all this man yeah no i i, I echo a lot of you guys' thoughts but i also think like we we can't just say like we can't just play victim here for marvel because we've seen this on so many other movies <laughs> oh, yeah. like, come on like dc gets their butts beaten so many times and nobody says anything so i'm gonna put that out there but mm -hmm. honestly i feel like um i go back to her winning like zoe clow one best director last year i think there's a lot of pressure on i think a lot of the critical eye was looking at mm -hmm. her and being like there's been a big talk from Marvel Studios being like, this movie's going to be something huge. You got Chloe Zhao. You know, you got your Phil Jackson right now doing this movie. <laughs> Bring it. Like, let's see what you're going to do. And I think, honestly, they saw this film and they're like, that's it. That's like, a great sorry. point, like, man. I, I, you know what I mean? I don't think they're ranking. Like, you look at the, um, let's go back to like, was it, was it Winter Soldier or Civil War? Winter Soldier was the Russo Brothers, both, right? But yeah, uh, Winter Civil Soldier War. was first. Both, right? It's both of them. But, but their yeah. debut was Winter Soldier, mm -hmm. right? And a lot of people are laughing because these guys wrote, was it Community? Did they do Community, yes. The paintball episode is the one yeah. that got them Winter Soldier, funny enough. Right, so people are like, these these guys writing Community are going to be doing Captain America. And it's, it's the reverse of this, right? They went in and they absolutely killed it. Whereas here and now we have somebody like Chloe Zhao that did something incredible with Nomad. I'd never seen the movie, but obviously it won something. So obviously it's a big deal. And then she went in here and they're just like, yeah, like it's not really jiving for us so in some ways i feel like it's just as simple as that the expectations were high the talk was was there and i don't think the movie necessarily when delivered. it's maybe to your point there troy the critical expectations were high not even so much the audience mm -hmm. expectations it was like exactly and i think she had filmed this prior to winning that oscar correct so it wasn't like marvel yeah. went out and got her because she won an oscar right this was all part of yeah. a a larger design in this and so there might be some of that like you're saying that legacy of her winning that and that expectation for this to be like this massive standout MCU film. And it, in mm -hmm. construction, it's different, but it doesn't stand out amongst the crowd as much as maybe people were hoping or expecting at a critical level. Yeah. Well, and let's get into that then. Um, the construction of the film. And I think that this is where the movie really suffers and where people um, struggled with it so we have the Eternals that we learn are deployed by the Celestials to fight the Deviants because reasons and so we have our 10 Eternals and they are deployed and then all of a sudden they are no longer together and basically the construction of the movie is the group of the few Eternals having the Deviants come back again and then this kind of cr cross-Earth road trip as they're recruiting the former members of their team 
and it's spearheaded obviously by Gemma Chan Cersei and Richards Madden's Icarus and uh, the young lady that plays Sprite there. But uh, yeah, Troy, man, did you think that the construction of this thing worked to the benefit of the movie? And where did it thrive and where did it struggle for you? Yeah, so the construction for me, I guess like the flow and the pacing was kind of off for me. Um, I guess the flashbacks, the back and forth, kind of took me out of the film sometimes. And sometimes I was lost. I'm like, are we in present day or are we back in time? So that kind of didn't necessarily work for me. Um, and then the whole switcheroo. So I kind of like what they started to do, or at least what they established with the Deviants. 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 Deviants, sorry. The, yeah, the Deviants. And then you have, obviously, the Eternals. And then you have the Celestials. And I got to say, the Celestials looked great. I thought they did a... I think all the budget went to those guys. I think they looked absolutely um, stunning. But um, that kind of stuff worked for me. Um, but there were some weird kind of pacing issues throughout the film. And again, like it's... I hate doing this, but I'm coming off of Dune, which was just... It was it was pretty well done. It was pretty well done. So when I came into this, it was a little choppier. So um, and this is coming from somebody that doesn't really know the whole lore of the Eternals. But I was like at the end of the day, kind of like I kind of thought the Deviants or the Eternals were kind of pointless. Like you only needed one exactly. of them to serve the one hundred percent agree with you, man. Of the Celestials, so I thought that was that was kind of weird. And I don't, again, again, I don't know if that that's how it is in the comics. I do know the Deviants exist. And I know the Eternals exist. I think the Eternals are actually like humans that have been worked on as opposed to like, these are more like droids in the movies. Yeah. So these, these yeah. Eternals in the movies are a little different. Um, but I just felt like, yeah, like you didn't really need one or the other. You could have, you could have realistically used the deviants as the catalyst for needing the Eternals. Cause they explain that later on, right. That they, they went off and evolved and they got out of control and we needed the Eternals to basically come in and wipe them out. But then that should have been it. Like, I don't think resurrecting mm -hmm. them later on and having them be, a false villain throughout this was mm -hmm. necessary. It took away too much time to do other things. Like the fact that it was a one note climate change, ice melts said deviants are back type thing. Like it didn't even have anything to do yeah. really with the emergence. And so they, it was in the, the core or whatever, the main guy that was, again, you need something to bash up, but it just, I agree with you, man. They did not need the deviants in the second or third act of the film. Well, and to your point and I'm going to throw this to Ian and Tim because I think that that whole plot device, which was the core of the construction of the film was flawed in its conceit. Because if you have your celestials that are these all powerful, all controlling beings and they deploy the deviants for reasons, and then they deploy the eternals to fight the deviants for reasons if you have these all-powerful celestials that basically create the universe is what you're telling me, why wouldn't they just, they're like, oh, shoot, we messed up. Let's just erase everything and start all over again because mm -hmm. we got these deviants. And you didn't have a reason for the deviants. And then you kind of never needed the Eternals. I, 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 I took the deviants the as being... lost in the sauce. Yeah, yeah, and I took the deviants as being, again, this might have been lost in dialogue, but they were essentially like, let's set these things loose to kill everything on the planet so that we can seed it for intelligent life is what we need to essentially drive the engine of the celestial, right? And then yeah. those things, for whatever reason, didn't work. But yeah, again, you come up against the fact that you have this celestial, this being in the sky, this all-knowing thing, 
or device almost and they can't control that one aspect of it so yeah there's a little bit of of construction issue in that like that's probably the, the most difficult through line and and with the construction and all that like it's i liked it to be honest with you i like this puzzle that's coming together as you're watching it so you're finding things out at the pace of the film instead of being in the know a little bit more but where it suffers for me is they try to hold so much back even though they're dumping constant amount of dialogue they try to hold so much back to surprise you and to twist you later on be like oh here's a reveal you didn't know about here's a reveal you didn't know about and that to me pulls the plot or the whole thing suffers because of that so you don't get a lot of this earned aspects of what they're revealing because they didn't tell you enough to earn it. They told you just enough to make you feel surprised, say, when Icarus turns or whatever, right? Like, that kind of came out of nowhere, and it surprised me. But when you look back on it, it's like, wow, the story construction probably could have went in a way where it at least alluded to that more. Or that they had a fallen brother that went that way. And so, you know what I mean? Like, there's pieces of the plot that they could have used to allude to the fact that an eternal can go rogue or that eternals are so beholden to the celestial and they cannot move. And I understand that there's aspects that they don't know this and all that, but in all the work that the plot does in construction about going back and dumping information and then going forward, progressing, going back, dumping information, they use all of these flashbacks as way to bring you up to speed as to what's going on in present day. And like, this is the first MCU film that starts with a star Wars scroll too right to with all these big words and so i can see where the ga loses that a little bit right you you read this first couple there's like three paragraphs you have to read to start this film off right and so you're immediately thrown into the deep end of cosmic wildness and if you've never even picked up a comic book in the cosmic end of things this is hard and i see why they did the story like this but at the same time i can see its flaws like i i personally liked this this puzzle being put together in front of me but I see where it suffers. All right, Ian, man. I'm throwing it to you, brother, because I know uh, <laughs> I know you saw some plot holes, and I'm going to go off, I think. But uh, <laughs> let's throw it to you first, baby. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know. How long How long is this podcast? How long can we can we talk for? I mean, like, I think this is, this is where the kind of the film falters a bit, man. Like, I think the second time I watched it, I kind of let a lot of these things slide, and then I definitely enjoyed it a lot more. Um, but yeah, like just time with the deviants, like I just didn't really get that. Like the deviants get sent down to, to, to make sure they, to kill all these creatures so intelligent life can progress. But then what it is, is the deviants learn that they're basically being sent to their death. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. learn that, you know, the celestial is going to break out and basically they wiping out intelligent life. So in the end, they're kind of doing what the Eternals are doing. Like, you know, the, at the end, they're trying the demons are trying to save the planet in the end <laughs> yes and and you know like crow comes and he he starts fighting icarus and they're like why are you saving crow and he, you get this little really basic explanation and and you know jody kills him and, and it's like well hold on that dude's like on your side like he's trying to help you out like he's he's only trying to survive like he's been sent to his death and i guess you know there's the whole ideas against the humans um but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff like you guys were saying about, you know, the the celestials and they're creating life. Man, they, the Eternals are worse than the Deviants. They gave <laughs> yes. the Eternals free will. Like, why would you give the Eternals free will? Like, why wouldn't you just make these mindless, 
robots or these guys go down and say, just make sure intelligent life lives. But yet he gives them free will and it gives them the option to turn against them. And then you've kind of got, you know, uh, man, like it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me because he tells, the, you know, Arisham, he tells them the plot, like the, the plan. Yeah. Like why does he he go through this whole thing where he tells the lead uh, Eternal what the plan is? Mm -hmm. So it kind of, you know, when he tells Cersei that plan, Cersei's just like, she's crying because she's been on the planet for 7,000 years or whatever. And it's like, why, why does he just not tell them the plan? Like, you know, why doesn't he just keep that secret and then everything would work out fine? Yeah, for a guy that big. So, yeah. Not that smart. And then you're talking about, like, things that aren't earned. Like, that was that was a biggie for me. Like, I think the whole idea of the turn is that they're, um, you know, they care about the humans, right? Mm -hmm. And you never see that. Like, the movie never gives us any time Mm -hmm. with the Eternals interacting with the humans. And that's something you do see in a lot of other MCU movies or even the DC movies. Like, But you just don't see their relationship. You only see Cersei and Kit Harrington, his character, um, in a relationship. You know, uh, the fast girl, what's her name? Makari? Yeah. Like, she's in the, the spaceship for, for thousands of years or whatever. So she <laughs> never even hangs out with the humans. And yet she fights for them. So it's kind of like, it makes me question in the past, why have they let the planets be destroyed every single time? Are you saying that on every other planet, intelligent life has never been friendly and had and loved and laughed like mm -hmm. Summer Hayek says? And it kind of raises all these questions for me. It's kind of like, I don't really get, I never feel like they're fighting for anything mm -hmm. because you never get to see it's not earned. You don't ever get to see them spending time with the humans and, and loving the humans. Mm -hmm. You only get to hear them say it. Mm -hmm. You know, Cersei is the one who's supposed to love the humans the most, but like, no offense to the actress, but she shows like zero emotion for that whole movie. Like her Thank face, you. her face never changes <laughs> expression for that whole movie. She was like Steven Seagal, man. Like, come on. <laughs> 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 So, like, I did have issues with that. But as I said, like, I let that go the second time. And I think when you watch it the second time, there were things I did pick up on, like, um, uh, what was Sama Hayek's character's name? A Ajak. Yeah. So, Ajak, Sama Hayek starts to have doubts. And I think the idea is that she lets them go out and experience life. And maybe that's never happened before. And I think that's why they all start to doubt what's going on. That was my takeaway. Yeah, but um, they kind of established before that, right? Like right from the get-go where Cersei is making the crops and then they're making like the bread with the kids and braiding hair and all that stuff. Like that's thousands of years before they have... Because Ajax lets them go out true, yeah. because of the Dina getting the mad weary, right? Like, Which was actually the thing I thought was the coolest in the movie was their kind of take on Eternal's dementia. I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing that we've never seen before. And so I, I like that through line. But yeah, and just to kind of build on what, what you and Troy were saying, like for me, I think the whole movie would have been better. And I think this is truly where that Chloe Zhao versus the Marvel machine kind of came to clash. The whole movie would have been so much better if the Deviants weren't even in it. Yep. And yes. if... 
the Eternals were deployed to Earth to make sure that the humans evolve so that the mind energy grows the celestial in the planet type of thing. And if from the outset we knew that this was their mission, and then you get to see them through the years falling in and out of love with humanity. And I think you have mm. more interesting and more dynamic um, character work that you can play with where you have Cersei who really falls in love with the minutia of what human beings and humanity is all about. And then you have Druig seeing the terror that we can inflict on each other. And you have uh, Fastos seeing the grand things that humanity can accomplish when he gives them little bits of technology and then the horrors that they can inflict and then it all building to them having this battle with each other about whether or not they should fulfill their mission that the celestials mm. have sent them on but because of this mandate to have like these punchy punchy things mm. in the middle of the movie all the time mm -hmm. um you totally you do two things number one you kill the agency of all 10 of your eternals and number two, you add massive amounts to the runtime of this movie because you've got to inject the deviant stuff into it. But then you also have your director feeling it's important to do the character work. And so, like, even if you just had, like, something stupid, like the Chitari trying to attack Earth the whole time or something like that, just so you can have your action sequences or some other kind of invasion or, or even you have the Celestials sending other Eternals to kind of pick up the pace with growing the Eternal inside of Earth, and that's who they're fighting type of thing, right? Like, I think there was a way better way to do it, but to give your director the ability to tell. You could tell she really wanted to tell a story about the value of humanity. Yep. Mm. And then... But that's why maybe I would go the opposite direction, though, right? I would, I would just make the whole movie about the Deviants. Yeah, like I actually, I actually, I actually liked Crow, and I thought he was kind of interesting because his motives weren't exactly evil at the end. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like I would have made a movie where the kind of the cliffhanger at the end is the fact that the deviants were trying to stop the celestial breaking out. Like I don't yeah. know, it felt like they rushed to this ending of this mm -hmm. this celestial. Mm -hmm. Whereas I would have would have liked a movie where the whole movie was a Chloe Zhao movie where it's just about the Eternals mingling with humans over time. Yeah. And they have these this threat of these deviants, but they learn through this main deviant who gains this intelligence that, you know, his 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 purpose, his goal. Yeah. And the movie ends with them like, oh no, we've just killed all these deviants and now we've got this celestial coming out. And I think then the next movie could have been a whole movie about them trying to stop because the for me the whole last the third part of the movie, the final act was Ugh. was the biggest mess. Because well, yeah. yeah. you have to rush so much at the end there, right? Because I think to to much to all your points, and I don't disagree with anything that's being said. And I'm always going to be softer on these movies, but when you look at characters like Fastos and Druig, who I think are the two most fascinating characters that did not get nearly enough time on screen, they're not like the two I was talking about earlier was Druig and Makari. I think that like that was wonderful the story they told there, but Druig to me is the key to all this, and they do not use him enough, right? He is the first no. one to to descend into no, I'm not doing this anymore, right? And they never really play with that that much, and that's I guess essentially what leads them to 
being let go and to experience life on their own, but then they never pick up a lot of that. And then also fast Faustos or Fastos, him seeding this to increase the pace of evolution and technology and him unknowingly as eventually leading to this being the power of the energy that surges to light the celestial. I think that's a really cool plot point as well. But mm-hmm. but don't you think that's a weird plot point though? For me, like that was that was another one. Like Fastos creates technology to advance the humans, but they they keep telling him to slow down. Yeah. yeah. Why not tell him to speed up? <laughs> like Well, I think it's like hurry that, up. Yeah. Give them all the tech because if you give them medicine immediately, then the population booms and he's like then the celestial can come out. But it's like they're like telling him to slow down. And I'm like, I don't... Because I love Fastoff. I loved his, his character. But I, I'm just like, why... What is his purpose? Like, why are they telling him to not evolve too quickly? It's Whereas... It's just, I think it's this muddled message of point. free will and all this, right? Like, we can't interfere. But there's, like, there's a weird quote in one of the trailers I went back and watched. It says, we have not interfered until now. But in the previous line, it says we give them technology, right? And it's yeah, that's it's, it. it's, that's so it's, thought, it's kind yeah. of this conflicting idea of how much free will do we let have for evolution to take place, but we're also kind of like feeding it in the background because we have this guy that makes machines. But the reality is, and, is that and they, so much of that is just gymnastics because they have to explain why these super powerful characters were hanging out while all this other MCU stuff played out that we've yeah. watched, right? So. That's kind of where you get caught. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Ian, but it's just like... No, no, I'm saying like I'm, it's the same thing. I'm repeating the same thing. But it's like even the Thanos thing, I thought, okay, so the Thanos explanation is quite clever. You know, they can't interfere and they want them to to learn through their cells and through failure and, and that's how they develop. But hold on, Thanos was going to wipe out half the population, which is totally against <laughs> what you want mandate. because you need... The population. He was going to wipe out the whole population at the end of Endgame. So surely their main directive should be stop Thanos. Because if Thanos succeeds, there's no Celestial. <laughs> so I was kind of like... I feel again, you, man. Kind of, I feel that. Uh, and can, can I touch in there for a sec? Because I, I totally feel your point. Um, This is kind of a sidetrack. But going off the Eternals too, like, was that the only one that felt like they weren't even like that powerful? Like, I, honestly, I feel like at the end of the day, like... The Avengers could have probably even stopped these guys. I didn't get a sense of these guys are like the almighty Justice League powerful heroes. I kind of felt like they were kind of getting handed by the deviants yeah. a lot of times. And I was yeah. just like, these guys aren't really... Well, man, the one got taken out by getting hit on the head with a rock, so... <laughs> oh, but yeah, that like, was like... another thing I said to Tim. Like, it's just their... What were their power sets? What were yeah. their... what? Like, you know, at the start of the movie, they're getting cut up by the deviants, but then later they're getting smashed through buildings and there's not a scratch. You know, they needed Salma Hayek at the start, but then when she's dead, they don't need her anymore. And it's like, what were their abilities? Because mm-hmm. um, Sylvie, is it Sylvie? No, Sprite, sorry. Sprite sal- uh, stabs um, Cersei in the back. So she can stab her with a knife. But, like, then... She gets hit with a rock and gets knocked out. Like I was just like, this is this is a bit weird. Like what 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 abilities do people have? Well, that's just a power of convenience, right? It's just a trope in here. It's unfortunate, right? Yeah. That you have all these power sets, and like at the start, they're they're making pretty good work of the deviants, and then they continue to struggle with them more and more as the movie progresses, and as a convenient needs a a epic at the end or a climax, right? Fight and. Like, to the point, again, coming back to the Deviants, I don't mean to circle back here, but would have been cool. A movie without a villain. 
right? Without a punchy yeah, villain. Or yeah. You just had the fallout of the team. Exactly. And, yeah, Icaros being your, your bad guy mm-hmm. or whatever. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Troy, my man, what yes, did sir. you think? So we, we've kind of got there and we've started talking about the larger MCU and about the, the Thanos question, the Thanos imperative, mm-hmm. if you will, and kind mm-hmm. of what the audience likes and wants. And then the problems that you then face with the perpetual escalation of things and getting to the point where now we have these celestials. What did you think? What do you think about that as a whole? What did you think about Ereshim, the judge and the celestials and like over and above, like, cause I thought they looked killer, but just mm-hmm. like the issues that that poses. And then like, where do you go from here? And what does that leave you with? And is it a good idea? This perpetual escalation? Cause I'll tell you right now, like, I literally had the moment where I thought, I love Sam Wilson, Captain America. He doesn't matter. He doesn't matter. <laughs> when when you have this going on, that guy doesn't matter. And I was longing to be back in Louisiana with Buck just fixing the boat and off we go kind of thing. I literally had that thought in the middle of the movie. We're in the middle of space, yeah. and I was like, I want to be with Sam on the fishing boat, man. <laughs> I, just, I, I, just, I, I just want some shrimp. But how about you, brother? Like, yeah. What do you think? You know, with the Celestials, I got to say, too, I really thought is a cool wink, um, the Celestial that kind of rose in, like, the Arctic there or whatever towards the end. Mm-hmm. That shot was really cool because it reminded me of, like, the new Avengers Tower in uh, oh, yeah. Jason Aaron's run. So I thought that was, like, a cool, sure. like, nod. I was like, oh, man. You know, but um, like I mentioned, the Celestials, I thought, looked awesome. And uh, I think they set the tone for, like, how powerful they can be. But at the same time, this is the first time we've seen a Celestial. Like, look at Ego, the planet. Like, the Guardians took that guy out. And he's essentially a uh, Celestial himself, right? So we do obviously see, like, the chip in their armor and how they can be taken down even by a team like the Guardians and even by this weird, I don't know, like, (laughs) Episode Nine power attack move that they do at the end. This Voltron weird mind control thing to take down um, the (laughs) Celestial. That's just so weird. But, um... What this does for me and what has me excited is I want to see a Galactus. Yeah. I like the scale of this guy, of, of yeah. these Celestials, to see a Galactus, to see Silver Surfer going to these different planets and Pam picking them for Galactus to take down and for him to do uh, like a real proper true Eternals of what they're trying to do and have, um, was it Norton Rad? I think mm-hmm. that plays Silver yeah. Surfer to have him question his motives and remember like, wait, like this isn't right. I got to turn on my master. I can't keep feeding these plants to this guy. Like that's what I'm most excited for. And I hope this was kind of like they found their footing after this film going forward to be like, this is what we can do. And this is what we can do because the Celestials have always been kind of neat, but at the end of the day, you always want to get to Galactus. It's yeah. like the Celestials are like, they're okay, but you just want to get to Galactus. That's like the legit big, big threat. Um, you know, going off of heroes that could defeat these guys. I mean, yeah, it's a little, it'd be a little weird to see obviously, falcon uh take one of these guys down or even his team but when i think of like wandavision or wanda and i think of vision and i think of captain marvel like i like i feel like captain marvel could have taken down the whole eternals with one hand like i didn't really feel like these guys had anything on her so i i think the mcu is already equipped to take down these kind of villains and they just did something here in this film to kind of get us away from characters that we love and introduce us to characters that don't really have much going for themselves um yeah man i just i guess long story short i just i'm just excited for what's next going forward because we do get a nice little cliffhanger 
kind of at the end. Actually, there's a way better cliffhanger at the end. I'm not going to talk about the first uh, credit scene. I'm talking about the last credit scene. That's where it's at. That's like this is like Venom Part Two. Like the best, the best after credit scene makes the film a lot better, right? So yeah, we'll get there. We'll no, get there. It, it's yeah. it's true. And man, your point about Galactus. One of the other thoughts I had was when Ersham shows up, and he's in the the sky during like a clear blue sky day, and they see him there. I was like, that's cool. But how much cooler would it be if the first time we had that type of visual was oh. with Galactus, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And yes, I, like this movie. I thought it was him when he came. When I he know came in, I that was him, man. Yeah. And so there's just there's just so many things that I was like, we've robbed ourselves of all these great moments mm-hmm. with this kind of mid and middling movie. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. It was a bit, it was a bit frustrating because it's just like you yeah. can see the great story if they don't try mm-hmm. and do too much, and then you can see what they build to where you have that Cap finally picks up the hammer moment mm-hmm. with oh. the first time you see a celestial in an Earth context is when mm-hmm. Galactus's very distinct helmet shows up on the horizon right and oh. and even when he speaks yeah. Ersham, when he speaks at the end there like that sounded like to me what something galactus would say i'll be back to judge mm-hmm. and it was yeah i agree with you like i think that they set the stage for galactus now to be in his true form he doesn't have to be in his cloud or grounded or anything like that and maybe galactus is out there chasing down these these planets that have celestials inside of them and maybe that's what he feeds off of i don't know and so you end up with some like big battle or, or something at the end there. But to your point about escalation, Carl, so I just want to touch on this because it's something that I'm always thinking about in the MCU, right? They're always looking to outdo themselves. And we're into yeah. now this rapid progression of escalation because we spent 23 movies or whatever it was building towards like this epic crescendo of a story, the Infinity Saga, that blew everyone away and everyone was so heavily invested in. And I thought they were going to through line this and say, we're going to pick our next Infinity Saga and I thought it was going to be mm-hmm. time. I thought that was going to be the big bad, effectively. The, the, it would be the time saga or whatever, right? And now it seems that they're building three different massive avenues, like the celestial cosmic piece. They're building the time component, and they're building the mysticism and magic side of things. And you know, do these eventually cross over? Because your, your economies of scale are like way out of whack right now. And the fact that mm-hmm. you have this these huge stories that are being told, you have the multiverse in the mix, and then on the side you have the mysticism, this stuff about, you know, maybe the Black Knight and all this is going on over here, Wanda, Doctor Strange, and all that, and how that crosses over. And so we've gotten to the point where there was a continuous narrative that was being spun, weaving in and out of these films that were progressively different, introduced different characters, but ultimately were driving towards a very similar thing that was six stones that we all kind of got right. And they explained Mm -hmm. it. It was simple. These things are powerful. They can do X, Y, and Z. And now we're in a spot where the MCU is, is just grown exponentially inside of 2021. And it's introduced so many new concepts that it is going to get hard. I think to keep track of what is going on. And the next movie we're going to watch is going to make that infinitely more difficult because of what it, likely or could introduce and so they're playing with a bit of fire here and introducing a lot of major big concepts like even the guardians introduced space for the first time and really blew open the doors of what the universe was 
it was pretty careful as to where it stepped and what it introduced. And it was like just concepts of aliens and life. And it dealt with some bigger things, but ultimately that fit into a common narrative in itself. I don't mm-hmm. know where eternal sits. It sets something up completely different, right? It doesn't really build off of Shang-Chi, although they allude to the rings at some point, I think in the end credits when they're going through things, but ultimately it kind of sits on its own. And so I don't know if this movie ever has like a, a winter soldier effect somewhere where the next movie that comes out makes this film better because we understand where they were going. But yeah, this escalation is, is getting interesting inside of the MCU. That's for sure. Yeah. Ian, why don't you build on that a bit, man? Or let me know your thoughts on that whole concept and yeah, where it's going. I think, I think that's true. And it's, that's an interesting point. Like, you know, I didn't really kind of pick up on that before, but I think, you know, we've been spoiled a lot with, with the connectivity of all these different movies and shows and stuff. And I do think that's one thing that maybe people find it hard to kind of jive with this, this with this movie, just that there is no real connectivity between this and, and what we have. You know, it kind of, for me, it kind of raises lots of questions, actually. Like, you talk about Guardians and you've got all these aliens on all these different planets. And it's like, how do the Celestials, you know, deal with them? And do they have celestials growing in their planets and you know what what is what is odin to you know did this did the celestials create asgard like you know what what are their their aims what's what's their clear purpose mm-hmm. and yeah it makes me wonder like you know they they're gonna take uh Arishim's taking them away to read their memories to see if humans are worth saving and it makes me wonder whether there is some extra end game for the celestials maybe are they searching for something that we we don't know about yet you know maybe they are looking for a species that is you know has more potential than than other species or maybe they're looking for something different so that i mean i don't think i think the guys at marvel know what they're doing and i think there's going to be something that brings Mm. them together but it's kind of interesting that idea is Eternals at the moment does feel very mm-hmm. on its own and it doesn't it it's makes you wonder you know we we're expecting to talk about the the multiverse and talk about things like time and and like we got none of that here we've got this new big bad this these sentinels whether they're, they're bad or good and you know what what is the judgment gonna be are they gonna you know, I don't want them to send. I, I really hope it's not Arishim sends Galactus. Like it's going to be Galactus is one of these these guys to, that they use for for judgment because then it just takes away from yeah. Galactus. And I think the devourer of worlds, as you man. said, it would have like, been. It's yeah, it's man. gets yeah, teed I mean, up he as is. like he's the judgment that is sent, right? But can he be bigger than the Celestials now? I don't know. Have they taken that away from us? Yeah. Because can he? Man, you you start going too crazy, and then eventually we're all just a Japanese guy in the bathroom <laughs> saying, where's Thanos? I think you can always you can always go bigger, though. You can always go bigger, I, w- I would say. And uh, I, I think I think so. But, I mean, even to the point, like, like Kang the Conqueror, right, and Loki, I, I believe, like, when they travel to that planet or wherever he was, in that timeline like kang is like the end of the end like where he is so you'd have to imagine wherever kang sits at the end of the day he's outlived even the celestials which kind of puts him even beyond the celestials themselves right and that's just looking at kang so if you look at kang then there's again i go back to the theory there's always a bigger fish so i would say they can definitely 
outdo themselves. Yeah. It's it's when you I introduce so. a maker that you you complicate everything, right? You introduce like a governing. When do you lose your audience, right? Yeah. Because that's the other thing you got to be worried about. Because it, it, it's one thing for like the four of us to talk about it, who are reading yeah. comic books and have all this history and are inclined to watch every single thing and to invest in the stories. And it's like, yeah, I didn't like that one, but got to gotta be on board front of the line for the next one. But like the MCU is catering to a vastly larger audience than us, right? So, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I would say I the majority that's... of their audience is GA. Like you're not mm-hmm. getting these these numbers and like in real life numbers too that would probably be exceeding a hundred million dollars and you're getting these billion dollar films that doesn't happen with the four of us right and our community yeah. we are the first nighters Thursday at seven o'clock viewing coming back here and talking about it and and raving or ranting online about it but the the real audience is the GA on these things like that's why the MC yeah. is so huge and introducing these concepts yes like now that you look back on it the infinity stones themselves i remember us talking about god this is kind of a complicated thing you know we're, we're talking about unset power sources random stones and that's nothing like that seems like a pretty straightforward open and close story now but they took 10 years yeah. to get yeah. there true they got there very slowly and mm-hmm. they brought you along like every step of the way right like mm, no. really you you went through all of phase one and there was one infinity stone at play yeah after a full phase yeah. and now we have time yeah. we have celestials we have engineers we have aliens yeah. predators all sorts of stuff yeah and uh, yeah I, I think i think the audience is there though man i think because i mean you look at um if you go way back and people are like, you can't have more than one Batman on screen. Well, like, <laughs> we're going to get there. And people know, people know now, right? People know that we're going to have two flashes or three flashes or two Batmans, possibly three Spider-Man. Like that multiverse has been open and like everybody's on board. Even, even when you go to a TV series, like the CW verse, right? They've been doing that into the Spider-Verse mm-hmm. thing. won Oscars, it, 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 it did pretty well. It was well received. So, I feel like the audience is there for all this kind of you stuff. Have to it's and and it's kind of because the MCU's the MCU's kind of trained mm-hmm. the audience to kind of get there as well, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I think they and, don't yeah, even just, need to, they don't even need to know what's going on. I think sometimes I think that's no. a good point from Troy. I mean, I think sometimes the general audience sometimes they don't care. Like they <laughs> don't have fair. to know yeah. what's happening. <laughs> My wife yeah. loves Marvel. She binge watched all the MCU movies. She went through. She doesn't understand what the hell's going on, but she loves it. And, you know, I was in my local comic shop and it was the same thing. Like, you know, these these three people came in and they start buying up all this eternal stuff after watching yeah. the movie. And they're talking to the, the, the shop owner and they're saying to him, like, we didn't understand, but it was such a great movie. Mm-hmm. And like, I think, I mean, Troy's got a good point. I think they're there. I mean, I do think the, the audience are going to stick with it. And I think you don't always have to, it doesn't always have to make sense mm-hmm. to them, I guess. Yeah, I can see that, man. Like, and I do like that that perspective. Like, I've read some Eternal stuff, and it's not the easiest stuff to get through all the time, or understand. And they they really just adapted pieces of it in this film, right? They don't stay true to really much of what the Eternals, and especially the Eternals' deviant relationship. Like, I think it's it's quite a bit different. Um, like like the base concept that it's one versus the other, but like I think the the word they're derived from, the catalyst for the the battle, it's a little bit different, but. Yeah, I guess maybe maybe you don't give the general audience enough credit on stuff like this, on these concepts, right? Like, you're talking, 
guys are talking about Dune and we're talking about Alien Predator, like all these different film franchises, Star Wars even, right? It's pretty wild stuff that happens yeah, in yeah, there yeah. and people just kind of roll with it. And so, yeah. yeah, maybe maybe we're not giving the general audience enough credit on that one. I can buy that. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. So speaking of these characters, what uh, what did you guys think of the, our 10 Eternals? Who were your standouts and who kind of left you cold? Timbo. I got to say, I said it once, Makari, I love the actress that portrayed this and how they utilized her the way that she spoke sign language and her relationship with Druig. I Druig to me is a standout in this one. I don't think we spent enough time with this guy. And he is the one that, that they probably should have built a little more around when it comes to the descent amongst the Eternals. But I mm. like this character. And what's the actor's name? He's awesome. Barry Keoghan. Keoghan. Yeah. I thought he just had a presence to him on the screen. Like, every time he was on, I was like, yes, give me more of this guy. I like where he's going. That relationship, that chemistry he had with Makari was very palpable to me. It was believable, more so than Cersei and Icarus. I thought that that felt a little wooden, the two of them, and never really Oof. felt emotionally invested in that relationship <laughs> that was supposed to be, like, like the greatest thing ever. And those two, mm-hmm. Makari and Druig, they, they, they are the standouts for me. I like Fastos. His power set was a bit weird. Um, and then who else do we have? Who was Angelina Jolie's character? What was her name? Fina. Fina. Yeah, Fina. I like that. It was. It felt like a different story sometimes. Her and the other dude, like they felt like they were off doing something else. And like you mm-hmm. said earlier, Carl, they could have played a bit more with her dementia and her losing it. And maybe she could have been the villain, the punchy, punchy villain that they went up against throughout this. That was not on purpose, and it didn't really have to allude to the them falling apart as a team. And you could have used her a bit more. But ultimately, I think, you know, they try throughout the movie through taking certain Eternals away and reintroducing them slowly. I think that they recognize the fact that at 10 characters with this deep of a history and a needed family chemistry is very hard to do, even in the two and a half hours that they had. And to get you emotionally invested in the characters, I don't know if it would have been better to take some of them away for now or killed some of them earlier because the characters that do get killed you kind of feel a little something for them but maybe not as much as they wanted you to and the relationships that they wanted you to be invested in you didn't get quite enough there and i'm speaking mostly towards icarus i like the character i like what they wanted to do with them but like i said earlier they spent too much time hiding the twist and not enough time putting the energy into understanding why he was that way why he felt so burdened by this mission that he was willing to literally kill his entire family, his existence. He was willing to put them away to serve Erishim. Yeah. Well, and he was just so stoic and cold for the whole thing that he, he was never believable. Like, you you never believed that he cared about Cersei, like, from the outset. Well, they allude a lot and to then... that him, I left for a reason, right? And they, they yeah. leave you lingering on that for like almost two hours but like right when they're like at the peak of their romance you didn't buy it yeah. mm-hmm. you you, yeah. you didn't buy it at all and the the only thing i'll add to that is like forcing dane whitman into this thing just to give her a new love interest to book in the movie and honestly buy you a post credit scene really undermined your core of the film which is supposed to be 
this love between Cersei and Icarus, and then Icarus's pull between his duty to Erishim and doing what's right by Cersei, who has forsaken her mission because she's in love with humanity. But Troy, my man, you are ready. You are primed. Yeah. Take it away, man. <laughs> Um, okay, so going for the characters, you know, I, I'm going to be honest, I was surprised that I loved Athena so much. Yeah. From the little bits that we had of Angelia Jolie's character, I loved her every time she was present. Like, the swag mm-hmm. that she had with the weapon mm-hmm. kind of reminded me a little bit of, like, Gal Gadot in, in, in BBS, but I, I loved her. And then, like, what she's battling with, with, like, um, that like amnesia almost kind of effect going on with her was, yeah. was really cool. And I wanted more of that. And her relationship with yeah. Gilgamesh was far better. Far better than what we got with uh, Cersei and um, and Icarus. Um, man, like I wish I got more of that. I liked uh, Druid. I didn't think I'd like Druid either, and he mm-hmm. was pretty cool, man. I I did dig him a lot, and I got to give credit to um, is it Fastos? Mm-hmm. So I didn't care for him, but I give that actor credit because I've been rough on that guy from, from Godzilla. <laughs> I think he's been oh horrible. he was the and Godzilla I was, like, guy. What I've seen the trailer, yeah, <laughs> he was in Godzilla, he was the and so. Yeah. yeah yeah i was yeah, yeah yeah so when he was in this film i was like you know what he brought it like this guy was working for that paycheck yeah. I, I i give him a lot of credit he he came through for me in this one but for me yeah it was um dina man i loved Thena quite a bit uh kid harrington is a kid harrington yeah from game of thrones harrington, he yeah. wasn't very good at all and i'm not even excited for him as as black knight like what do you mean troy trying to sell this why <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> I'm the black knight. <laughs> I liked him. I liked he, him. He wasn't. He wasn't doing it he for me at all. He didn't need to be in this movie, like, man. He, no, he, he had no business. Oh, no, he, he could have. No he could have been in this movie whatsoever. for thirty seconds at the start, and she just name drops. No, not even. Yeah, like it, I think the movie would have been better if it was Sprite and Cersei at the beginning, and Cersei's kind of lost, and then like embraces yeah. Icarus coming back, but not knowing that he's taking a turn for the worst and is setting them up and the whole thing works better but you have this weird relationship where oh you mean you're an eternal and uh like he's not shocked keep, at all he doesn't that voice. care <laughs> no he, he, like you, no. your girlfriend like, can you make me a giraffe yeah <laughs> i, I don't understand giraffe? how marvel <laughs> marvel like this with this film they took on they took on such a hard time because the eternals have never been big but they've tried pushing them lately. And the Black Knight has never been big. And they tried. And he put both of these characters that nobody really cares about in one film. And I'm like, why mm. did why did you do that? Why wouldn't you give us at least like just just put Blade in then? Oh. It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. People, there's a fan, but there's a fan base. Like yeah. <laughs> people like him. Mm. So I, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um Icarus I was hoping for though. I really was thinking this is gonna be like that Magneto, Michael Fassbender kind of performance mm. and and we didn't get it. He was so wooden. The Superman reference was kind of funny, but it just it didn't do too too much for me. So I thought that was a really uh, missed opportunity. But Kingo, Kingo, is it Kingo? Yeah, yeah. Is the Kingo, other one? Yeah. I thought this was gonna be our Johnny Cage. I was excited for this guy, and he was okay. He seemed like he had the most fun there out of anybody. Yeah. But kind of kind of hit or miss for me. He's definitely like a, the more likable character, I'd say, because it's it's a pretty wooden ensemble i mean i'm coming off of suicide squad man and i loved yeah. everybody in that film and i yeah. i went into that film mm. thinking like i was gonna like anybody you want to talk about ensemble that was an ensemble james gunn holds it down when he's he's a character director and i loved everybody on screen even pete davidson and then in this film we have we you know we have some pretty decent actors and 
I think I mentioned two characters that I really like, uh, Druid and um, Dino. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, we got to the end of that movie, and, like, when they're on the beach and they're starting to face down against each other, I thought to myself, I was like, man, I don't care if all of these guys die right now and this celestial pops out of the planet. Like, just be done with it. Just be done with it. Like MCU, the end. Yeah, let me go. Re- release me. So where did where did Kingo go? This is the thing that I don't understand about that character. And I think I agree with you, Troy, that he seemed to be having a good time. And there's there's a lot of maybe issues with the portrayal of it that I would be interested to hear. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I don't know if you want to hear him from me. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But what did they do with this character at the end? Like he he see they were trying to use him i think as a way to do contextualization dumps throughout the movie like he was just a a device to feed information and say oh i'm recording this tell me a bit about yourself and so you're getting history without being directly looking at the screen being like this is who i am it was they're using a mechanism a device to draw that out of the character so that it wasn't so obvious on the screen but then he just up and disappears at the end like he's just like yeah i'm out and never comes back, and it's like the heroic reentry. He just kind of picks them up at the end. It's just like, yeah, I'm just gonna like go and just do nothing while the world ends. Like, I don't, I never yeah, understood I, that. Well, because he 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 kind of took the path of um, no resistance, right? Where he's like, I believe in Erishim's mission, so therefore I'm with Icarus, but I will not. Uh, you're my family, and you want to try and take out the celestial so i'm not gonna fight you but i'm just gonna peace out with my racist sidekick guy here and, horrible oh man like it like horrible it was a man i liked him man it, well, i liked him no <laughs> like as a brown guy Dude. it's like you've done 25 movies and the first two brown people you introduce like the first south asian characters in the mcu <laughs> One is a Bollywood guy, and the other one is yeah. your thick accent, like laughing stock oh. stereotype. I'm like, yeah. Come but he on. was from India, though. I mean, I mean, I've I lived in India for like four months, and like in India, that's what people like—the little head wobble and <laughs> super friendly and a bit bubbly. But they felt they, felt, they fell right into the stereotype. Yeah. I was like, really? Like, yeah. oh, okay, I, 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 I thought they. Could, I think MCU's. I would have thought they were smarter than that. Um, or had the more Bollywood dancers. And I was the like, Bollywood oh. dancers. What got me, man? It's just like that was the. He said the first time you introduce an Indian character, and he's he's doing a Bollywood dance. Oh, I, I know that. What was, I watched an interview that with was, him, and he said that he's like, no, I don't want to do this. And then they said, okay, we'll do. You can be a Bollywood picture. action star. And we'll do like an action oh, scene. Right, okay. And he showed up and they're like, nah, no, we're doing the Bollywood thing. <laughs> the dance thing. All oh, right. Yeah. Man, it's terrible. Like for like, and I, it triply irritated me because like everybody was flag waving about diversity and representation and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And it's like, holy smokes. Like that's like introducing the Falcon or, or having sam wilson come in as that pimp character that he dressed up as in yeah. falcon and the winter soldier the first time you meet him or not even it would yeah. be roadie being the character like that right mm-hmm. or yes yes like yeah it was terrible like i love the way they yeah. played with that a bit in shang chi where it's like we know what you're thinking racist audience members but this is not what that is yeah. and kind of clapping back at it right because mm-hmm. Simu Lu and Aquafina were cool, but this was just like, holy smokes! Like 
It was like a Simpsons character, man. Like, come on. Like, yeah. it was. No. It was ultimately. No. It, no, it was, was too was much. They felt too beholden to the fact that they needed ten Eternals, or whatever. And it was never really fully explained why they needed so many. Like, does their their powers just never really seem to complement each other in a way that you needed every single person for a certain aspect of surviving or defeating the deviants or what have you? So mm-hmm. if they had to just cut that in half almost and then alluded to an eternal suit there's more Eternals somewhere else let's go find them our family or something to that effect and you might lose some of the dynamic but ultimately they you... had dynamics yeah well Sorry. there's a little bit <laughs> dina and gelgamesh had dynamics <laughs> makari and, and druid i think had some a bit of chemistry but ultimately there's just too much going on like there are very likable characters in here and i think whoever brought up the suicide squad is bang on they reduced like like 15 characters there in seven minutes and you loved all of them and so that goes to direction and that goes to writing and that goes to even casting you know i don't want to question anyone casted here but you cast guys like michael rooker and pete davis into these roles and you're immediately attached with them because of your previous knowledge of the of the actor Mm -hmm. right you can just assume that you either like them or not like them, but you know what they're going to be like. And there's none of those characters here, right? You find yourself trying to get invested and listen to every single word to understand these characters and then understand 10 different power sets. It's very overwhelming at times, even for someone that has a little bit of Eternals knowledge. It's just there's yeah. too much going on, I think to really get an appreciation for what character development could or should have been. Well, the reason they had so many is because they had like this kind of tokenism mindset with the Mm -hmm. representation. Like, why don't you make Icarus a brown guy then? Like make him, make your big, cool, powerful guy South Asian. Yeah. And there you go, right? And then that's one less guy you need. Yeah. Yeah. I guess he's the, yeah, he's the, you know, he's the, the, it turns out to be the villain Mm -hmm. and he's the good looking white dude who's gonna or drew it even too right like they they, they could have definitely swapped around but yeah. I, I just i thought that was kind of well you can or black knight you can was, you can character yeah. bash here yeah. too it's not we've seen this before in the mcu where you combine power sets and you combine characters into a single character yeah. for functionality inside yeah. of a plot right yeah. you, you yeah. don't necessarily need to have all 10 you can have six but like you said you you cram together kingo and icarus into one character right Mm -hmm. and they carry the Mm -hmm. blasty things and they carry the plot differently but ultimately if you want to be beholden to the source material you hit on certain aspects of those characters that is flushed out through a single character yeah so let's get into this i mean like it's it's, it's a shame sorry i'm just gonna say it's a shame though i mean like some of those some of the actors you're saying about like the even the actors like um icarus is actor like i i think he was the one thing i was actually looking forward to in this movie yeah. like mm-hmm. you know I'd, I'd seen him in bodyguard yes that's and um, which is a great tv he's series and he's great that. in that and i mean like they just didn't give him the opportunity to to show any kind of, of mm-hmm. range i mean he did mm-hmm. get to to cry a little bit and he, he got a bit angry but this this didn't we just didn't get to see that yeah. um so yeah i do think and you know you're talking about like um Mac- like mccarty and druig like they 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 don't get a romance, but they get like a few scenes, like seconds, mm-hmm. where they're just like bouncing off each other, and like That's the awesome. chemistry there was so good, man. And like afterwards, I I googled it, I checked to see if they were 
if there was something going on between these two off screen and she's married like there's there's nothing hey, there it doesn't mean like anything man for, no. look at look, no. look at gal and chris Pine. <laughs> <laughs> but that performance just shows like you know the the thing between icarus and cersei there was just it was just this didn't work it was just cold like there was yeah. we just didn't get to see it man like it was just really weird how they just didn't yeah. give us that time of of them of them being together and then mm -hmm. if they did you know it would make more sense at the end where he finds it hard to to turn against that but mm -hmm. i just felt like yeah it just it just didn't work and then you get people like angelina jolie like her her presence on screen like troy was saying like thena was just so good and i think that just shows you know the talent there with she doesn't even have to say anything can she just mm. she has this this presence on screen and i just think she was um, one of the one of the standout standouts mm -hmm. in this. Well, and there's something interesting and but different, right, with the dementia yeah. type story that they told yes. with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even your pointing yeah. in about. But I just sometimes I don't know if it is about Makari and Druig. There, there's literally almost no words exchanged between the two of them, right? And it's exactly. The, I think yeah. it's the best relationship on screen. Well, there's a moment where he's he's behind and he, yeah. he kind of nudges her with his shoulder and they kind of look at each other and I'm just like, boom! Mm. Look at those yeah. two, like you yeah. know. But they've been up to on Babylon, like <laughs> yeah. it just it just works. But then you yep. get to see like you get to see it shown to you with like Icarus and Cersei, like they have this sex scene. I mean, they've been there for two thousand years, man. Like you thought they would have been, it would have been a little bit more, bit more romantic, a little bit more action going on there. But it was just like it was just cold. It was just just didn't feel like they were even in a relationship. It was really because they're robots, man. Mm -hmm. It's like the Westworld action going on there. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> but like with those relationships, like it all that also kind of compounds why it doesn't make sense when they s break apart from each other. Because mm. why wouldn't Makari go with Druig? And if she had like a different mission or a different calling, that's fine. But she just she's literally sitting in a ship for thousands of years reading books, and he's yeah. he's on his own. Like, why wouldn't the two of them seek each other out? And yeah, I don't know. But uh, let's get into this finale here and start wrapping this thing mm -hmm. up. Troy, my man, what yeah. did you uh, what did you think of this big final battle and where this all comes to a head? Where we have Icarus take his turn, we see that he murders Ajax, and why the mm. the voice and connection to Erisham goes to Cersei, and then uh, yeah, we have the the big battle with the ship and the Eternals versus the Eternals. And Crow <laughs> randomly coming into the middle of this thing. Oh, we forgot this guy. Setting Get him up in. One thing. Get him in. Yeah. Gotta sell that action and then figure. Yeah. Turning Crow. into something yeah. else. <laughs> yeah, I mean they wrapped it up. You know, I did like that that little flashback. You know, especially when you go back to the mystery box of how it all unravels. And I think um, seeing Icarus um, betray that, that that was like the Fassbender. That was like the David kind of part I liked. Right, like mm -hmm. when, it, when you make the Prometheus kind of parallels. That was the part I liked of him turning his back on uh, Ajax and, and taking her out. I thought that was that was okay. But then when we get into the actual action scenes, eh, can, I, can I also say with the action scenes, just the film in general, I forgot too, like the score. Like no one talks about the score because it's it's non-existent. Mm -hmm. The score was like just not there. And I and I need that. I need that for like a top, top film. I need that good score. You go score. to that so last trailer side tangent there. and it's like, it has this like yeah. awesome presence about the score. Like we talked about being a freaking character in the trailer. And yes, then it, yes, and it, yes, it disappears yeah. here. It's unfortunate because that that's like a framing of landscapes, right? Like that, that I went back and watched both those trailers before this. And it is that score that at least from my perception 
that's where I felt I was going to get this big, vast film from, right? And there's there's yeah. elements of that, but I agree with you. I I didn't really think of it until this moment, and it's like I couldn't tell you a single note. No, no, not at all. That that didn't carry over with me one bit. Um, but yeah, the, like the final battle scene was, it, it it was okay. It wasn't anything amazing for me. I feel like to be honest. Well, Shang Chi was was okay, but the last three Marvel films I've seen, the the, the final battles have kind of been a little lackluster, and, and and this one continues that thread. So it didn't do too much for me. You guys already touched on it too when um when Cersei got taken out there by um by Sprite. Is it Sprite or Sprite. Spirit? No, Sprite, right? Mm-hmm. Sprite. Yeah, Sprite. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of whatever. It was just. It, the third act was kind of weak. It was actually very weak. It's one of the weaker acts in, in an MCU too. film, for my opinion. It ha- and it didn't look good. And I don't understand that because this budget, man, like the budget was must have been pretty mm. good. MCU has a really good budget, and um, whew, it didn't look that. I great, wonder how man. much of this was reshot, really like the third act, because it, it feels mm. like at times it feels like two different movies mashed together. Okay, yeah. Tim, we don't need the release of Zao cut. Man, it's coming, campaign. man, it's coming. I, I know <laughs> yeah, really? that's what's percolating, man. But uh, you know, we, we've already, I, like I said, in foggy, light, I trust. the match on the powder can. <laughs> but yeah, why don't you take it away there, man? What uh, what did you think of the third act and uh, the resolution to this whole thing? You know, I, I struggle with this because as, as we talk about these films, I find that we bring up all these elements and we let them hang. And like the purpose of that is we have these... these these discussions we flush things out and then we allow the audience to make their own opinion from that right we're not here to shove an opinion down your throat and when i look back at the discussion it sounds somewhat low on it but when i come into this third act and i'm seeing the puzzle pieces come together i'm okay i'm digging the film at this point right i'm i'm into the story i'm into the characters flaws and all and i'm having fun like i feel like it took me a little bit of time to get into the movie like it was until the second act when I felt comfortable in my seat and I'm like, okay, I'm watching this and consuming it as it's coming to me. The twist, I did not see coming at all. The Icarus twist, I thought this guy was like Boy Scout Superman to the end of the day. And boom, he flips around. I wish that was a bit more earned. I wish that there was a bit more in there where it was still a shock, but not so much a shock where you're like, whoa, like how are they going to explain all of this now? And then they rapidly backtrack in this and tell you, and reframe the perspective of Icarus when he's talking to Ajax and the death and all this, right? And so they really rapidly push through the third act to get you to this battle of Eternal versus Eternal while the Celestial's coming up. The thing that took me out of the most was the Celestial, the hand coming up. Like, it just felt like if this was happening, like, what happens with, like, the gravity of the Earth and the Celestial shows up? Like, wouldn't that cause, like, some weird stuff going on? Like, your ocean's pulling funny and... Anyways, I was thinking of the physics of it more maybe than I should have, but I, I, I think it was good. Like it, it worked for the film that was in front of us. The the deviants coming back made no sense to me. Um, they just seemed like we need something to punch here at some point, and so we're gonna do that. And the conclusion of it, yeah, it works for I think the film. There is probably a better conclusion, but at the end of the day, they kind of still have to make these films somewhat self-contained. If you knew you're getting an Eternals 2 and maybe they just are going to do that, or if you knew where the story was exactly going, maybe you could have saved some of this third act or some of these elements for later. But 
at the end of the day, maybe you didn't have that luxury, you know, whether it was Chloe Zhao or whether it was the Marvel Studios saying we have to hit these points because we're going to touch on this in Love and Thunder or what have you. And we need to get this out. And so this is maybe where that story suffers a little bit. But ultimately, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm enjoying myself in the theater while I'm watching this, consuming it. Looking back, yeah, sure, there's flaws, but it works. Ian, how about you, man? Yeah, I kind of it's a, a bit of, of what you all said. I mean, I think what Tim said there is is a good point. I think leading up to that point until the, the kind of final act, I was still kind of invested in the movie and I was enjoying it. And I think for me, the third act, like the, that finale is where it, it kind of unraveled for me. Um, there were some good action scenes I liked when like the Makari was doing mm-hmm. the... That was awesome. The, the speed and she's like beating up um, Icarus and I thought that was pretty cool. And that fight was really good. Like, there were some good fight scenes there. Um, but then, like, you know, he gets pinned down. And then it, it's, I don't know. Like, for me, as soon as they entered that ship, everything was a mess. Mm-hmm. And the reason I thought that, like, it was just this back and forth where you had Icarus. Icarus basically says to them, you know, uh, it's Cersei's choice. Why doesn't he just say, like, you know, it's, I think we should let this the celestial come out and he's he's kind of gives it the choice then he goes off and thinks about it then he comes back and he's just full terminator mode like i'm gonna stop everything <laughs> and then he blows up the 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 design and then you got fastos again like fastos is like yeah we can't do it and they're like oh no but she can turn the the um deviants into trees oh why didn't you tell me that before you can't you couldn't do that before <laughs> no i can't do it she walks off and it's like, what's going on here? It's kind of really weird. Like, and then she's like, no, I can do it again. Oh, no, but we don't have the technology. Oh, you do. You got it in your neck. Let's make these bangles that get smashed in like 10 seconds. And they don't even use them at the end. So it was kind of, for me, it was just really weird. Like, I felt that, again, that was there was this pressure to, to, to hit those MCU beats. And... It just didn't work for me. Like I felt like they could have slowed down. Um, I mean, Tim made a good point about the the celestial coming out of the planet. Like you know, earlier we'd seen it just smash this planet apart and come out, and then you know this one comes out really slowly, and the tip of him comes out. It just made me think, like you know, maybe this dude can get out without breaking the planet. Like it's his his head's mm-hmm. out. And his hands are off. And the, the hardest so part again, of it's always dangerous, <laughs> even if it's just the tip. It's always dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it kind of for me it just felt a bit weird. Like it was this this back and forth. Like Icarus changed his mind over and over again, and I could understand if he's struggling with his decisions, and he kind of seems like that at the end. But he kind of basically shoots all his mates with lasers. <laughs> And then when he comes to the chance to, to stop Cersei, he didn't have to shoot. He could have just picked her up and stopped her from doing it. But he, he just starts crying and lets her save the planet. And I was just like, ah, oh, man, like, something's wrong here. There's it's not an earned moment. That's the problem. It's mm. not an earned moment. Yeah, it's like they've just seemed to be pushing this, this story forward with all these different things happening to make this big finale. But it just didn't feel earned. It just didn't feel necessary so yeah yeah no and i mean even the the return of crow was i mean i think he came back for thena right that was for thena's moment Mm -hmm. like to give jolie Mm -hmm. her big moment 
But I felt like she already had that. She got that when um, Gilgamesh died. Is it Gilgamesh? Yes. She died. Mm-hmm. Like, she had that moment. So I don't think she needed that. And when well, she fought Icarus to stand mm-hmm. a couple of times too, right? On the ship and then oh, on that's the true. Beach. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and you know what, man, you, you hit so many great points. And I, I kind of said it before. Like, by the time we got to the... F- I, I didn't care about any of them. I was just like, yeah. get this guy out yeah. and let's be done. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, definitely. That that's kind of where where I was at with it by that point in time. Um, so yeah, let's get into these end credit scenes. Let's start with the first one. So we have the the fanfare, and we have our Eternals departing Earth to go on their five year mission to find new life, new civilizations to boldly go where no man has gone before, and then Pip the Troll. Jumps out and introduces Eros, brother of Thanos. Timbo, what do you think of this whole thing, man? As fan service, awesome, man. I, I'm I'm digging this. I I Pip the Trolls a a character I'm surprised they didn't use in the Infinity Saga. Be and then him showing up here, I knew who it was immediately, but I'm like, man, who made this thing? Like it is the CGI is is difficult, right? <laughs> Given that all the all the stuff they've done with Thanos and everything. It's like, why, why does this stand out so much? It's like, almost like it wasn't finished. And then he introduced, mm-hmm. what's his name? Harry Styles as Ares. I like, sure. Like when you go, if you're casting for look, this guy fits a bill. I don't know how well or good he is at acting and introducing as a brother of Thanos might be a bit confusing for the GA. I, I think it's kind of a cool thing. He's an eternal, I believe in, in the comics anyways. And so, question is where the hell were you and your brother was doing all this stuff <laughs> but ultimately it's a fan service yes this will lead to something there's more eternals it's there's a bigger plot point here and I, i'm i dig this inclusion of both pip and eros cool cool troy my man how about you brother yeah it's kind of weird for me I, I agree with tim like i feel like um pip should have been in the infinity saga but i mean it doesn't have to be a complete adaptation of like you know, mm-hmm. the comic books. So, I mean, wherever they place them, I'm sure it's going to serve some sort of purpose. So it was okay, but the CGI was really weird. Like, it it, it, it really took, took me out of the film, to be honest, at that point. And Pan Oswald has such a, a such a face, mm-hmm. too, right? So when I saw that, I was It was like, mm, his voice, eh? That's kind of weird. And then it was. It was him. It was Pan Oswald. And then um, uh, Star Fox. Um, at, 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 Eros. Astros, right? Eros. Eros, Eros. But Star Fox, Eros, like mm-hmm. the same dude. So, um yeah that, that that's cool i mean it's all right that he that he showed up i don't really know like isn't the dude harry styles isn't he like a like a he's boy a band singer guy. He's, or wasn't he he's from one direction from, uh one direction yeah that's what i but thought he was so in, I didn't know... he's, he's in lots of movies though he's, he's oh is actor. he okay yeah, he's a... okay yeah. i didn't know he had an actual acting background so that's why i thought like that's kind of weird but he's in dunkirk okay. okay okay well that's good to know that's good to know so you know i am actually interested to see where they go with um like the brother of thanos because i really liked Thanos's book, uh, what was it? It was before we got into the Infinity or the Infinite Saga by um, by Hickman. Um, it was like his origin story. It was awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Thanos Rising. Was it Thanos? Thanos Rising. Where he's like that a little kid and stuff, amazing. and they're showing. Yeah, yeah and okay. it shows him take out his parents. I think, and I thought that was amazing. So if we can kind of get a little bit of that backstory uh, through his brother, I think that would be 
fantastic. So that was uh, that was okay for me, but it wasn't like a mind blowing. I mean, I'm coming off the, the after credit of Venom at this point, and I'm like, okay, like <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. Saved the whole movie to the point where I actually for. Well, to the point where I forgot that there would be two after credits. So I was just on my way out walking. And I'm like, wait a second. Everybody's still sitting down. So I like, stood there. I'm like, wait, there's a, there's a second post credit. Let's see what's going to happen. So we'll get there, though. Yeah, I'm <laughs> – it's funny that you bring up doing that story. Because can you imagine Harry Styles trying to act against Brolin? <laughs> like, yeah. like just when he rolls out and he's got that red silk on or whatever. I don't know. But uh, Ian, brother. What did you think of this? Uh, you know what, your fellow fellow countrymen coming out there? Yeah, I mean, like, I like the Harry Styles thing, I guess just because, you know, I'm not a big One Direction fan. Oh, but, come I on mean, We're all he's, friends he's, here. <laughs> just be yourself, man. Dude, my wife's a One Direction fan. She she was, I mean, she was uh, she had a little thing for him for a while. I tried to explain to her how old they were, and uh, <laughs> she, was still, she was still into it. <laughs> it makes me a little worried. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like Harry Styles, like I, I kind of like seeing him, and I mean, he's been in some other stuff recently. He's been popping up in stuff, and he's, I think, he is pretty talented, talented, like mm-hmm. out of the group. Like you know, the other guys haven't really gone anywhere, and he has, he has done some good parts. Like he's, I think he's, he's probably good for the role. I don't, I'm not saying he's a great actor, but I think it's kind of cool to have him. And you know, this character is someone who's supposed to be able to charm people. It's all and a facade. I think, you know, it's yeah. a good, maybe a good fit. Um, but like, I'm a little different than you guys. I think I probably know a little less about this side of the story. So, you know, I kind of tried to, to read up on it and, and uh, learn a little bit about it. So for me, I think I was probably more in this, the area of the, the general audience where like I was, I'd heard of these characters, but I didn't know much about them. And it was kind of a little underwhelming for me. I'm like, what's going on here? And then the, you know, what's his name? Star Fox Eros says, my fellow Eternals. Mm-hmm. And I was like, he's, so he's he's an Eternal? Yep. Is that true? He's, yeah. he's, yeah. Er, he's an Eternal. So yeah. does that make, so Thanos is an Eternal? Yeah, yeah. but I don't think that yeah, they're, they're... Eternals were always robots, though. So that's something Well, new. in the comics, they no. weren't. Yeah. In, in, in the oh, comics, they're actual okay. beings. And I think Thanos's parents were actually from Earth. They're humans as well, but Thanos was born with like a rare or some kind of genetic. Well, he's a de- he has a deviant gene. I know that. So that's he's, what he has. He's yeah, got a yeah. deviant gene, right? So that's why yeah. he's the way he is. But it made yeah. me wonder. That immediately started thinking like, was Thanos actually an Eternal, and he knew about the the Celestials' plan, and that's really the reason why he wanted to balance. And it kind of, I thought that's kind of that would be kind of cool, but it, it kind of retcons what we've seen before with his past planet and mm-hmm. using all the resources and so it was it was interesting for me it definitely had me intrigued um but like sitting in the theater i do think looking at everybody nobody knew what the hell was going mm-hmm. on yeah. and a lot of mid-credit and credit scenes usually get us hyped and people recognize characters i think with this one this is one that's definitely fan service mm-hmm. you know it's very much for the diehard fans for sure mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I, the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting was that he had jumped on the ship to enlist their help to engage other Eternals that needed their assistance kind of thing. So the, if they build on the narrative that they started here where the Eternals are going to be opposing the Celestials going forward, it might be an interesting jumping on point for that. But um, yeah, we'll see. The Harry Styles thing was, it, it was interesting because it kind of reminded me of comic book movies from the 90s. 
where there was tons of stunt casting where everybody wants like you, you get to the point where it's like Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson are in Batman because they're the best fits for it. And then you get to Batman and Robin where George Clooney and Arnold Schwarzenegger are in it because <laughs> they're the it actors of the time. And by the time this movie ended, that's kind of how I was feeling. It's like, ah, oh, Harry Styles, of course, <laughs> makes sense. Makes sense. Where's uh, <laughs> where's Zendaya? But uh, then we go to our uh, final post credit scene. And uh, unfortunately, you know, I, I, he didn't get to become a giraffe, but we have Dane Whitman there. <laughs> Kit Harrington opening a box, going back and forth. Oh, no, I don't want to do it. Oh, I've got to do it. And then... Uh, <laughs> and, and that was that was that was just i don't know i that was my kind of cringe moment of the whole movie i think where just him acting just there like i can do no i can't i can't do yeah. it i can do it and i'm like oh my god like this is the guy who we're gonna see go forward like yeah. why do that yeah and so he opens up the box and the ebony blade is in there and you know, I love the look of the ebony blade. I thought it looked cool. I was kind of hoping that the symbiote would come off it and it was actually null and oh. kill Dane Whitman, but that didn't happen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Troy, what did you think of this, man? And what did you think of that voice at the end of it? I got to throw it to you first, brother. Oh, man. This was so crazy because, like, I, at this point, I already checked out from Kid Harrington's character, the Black Knight. I was like, I'm not feeling this guy at all. I like the design of the Black Knight, but I never really dug the portrayal going on in this movie. And so when we got here, I, I was much like Ian. I was like this back and forth nonsense. And I'm so used to seeing Kid Harrington hold it down. Jon mm-hmm. Snow, Battle of the Bastards. Like, this guy's the man. And I see him in this, and I'm like, oh, really? And so he finally does what he does. And then I hear the voice, and I'm like, well, what? Like, who was that? Like, who was that? So I actually had to like go home and be like, who the heck was that? Because you don't see who it was. And when I found out that was Marshall Ali's blade, I was like, come on. Like, you guys missed out because much like Ian said, like the crowd didn't respond at all. I didn't know who it to, was to both credit scenes. Nobody knew who the heck that was. So I'm like, the fact that you guys did this, <laughs> you didn't like insert blades somewhere or have them just kind of walk out something. Like I thought that's such a weird thing. We nailed you it, man. A, 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 like a narrative with no portrayal of the actual character. Like what were you going for? Yeah. It was so bizarre. Like, but now knowing what it is, I'm like, cool. I'm crazy hyped. Like this is like, I guess technically the first appearance, if you want to say, of, of Blade, Marshall Lee's character being in the MCU. But I mean, like, you know, hearing like even like vampires mentioned in Loki, I'm like, yeah, you know? And then when I hear this voice that I don't know who it is, I was like, okay. Like, well, if we're not on? catching so it, really no weird, one's like, catching it. Yeah. And, I, and yeah. I know like it sounds like I'm contradicting myself because I just talked literally about like hand holding yeah. <laughs> the audience here, right? But like literally, you would not know who that is, and it didn't even sound like Marshall Lee. No, you know. So if it's like a Wesley Snipes voice, you could be like, "Oh shoot," because that's pretty distinctive. Or it just goes black but, uh, or something in the room, take. and it, you get kind of like a feeling or a hand on the shoulder. If if you're not gonna, if you don't want mm-hmm. to pay him or show him, you got to get a yeah. bit closer than the voice. I think. But even if yeah. it's like a COVID yeah. thing or whatever, like just get him to stand in front of a green screen. Or quite frankly, you could have him just say that and just show his mouth and smile and have mm-hmm. like a vampire tooth, right? And off you go. Yeah. And all you're seeing Something. is Marshali's lower face. and mm-hmm. it, But it firmly cements. It's like, oh, black guy with vampire teeth? I know who that is. And like yeah. you get super hyped, right? But yeah, it, in my theater, everybody. 
it's like was that Sam Jackson? <laughs> Who was that? And then, yeah. yeah, and then like guy going, everybody so thought bizarre. it was. That's what everyone putting together a team. Yeah. Yeah, I went on the so internet bizarre. and everyone thought it was Jeffrey Wright. Everyone thought it was Jeffrey Wright. They thought it was the Watcher. The Watcher. <laughs> Even like comic book websites said the Watcher, and I'm like, what? Like that doesn't. Why yeah. would he be in the room? Yeah, like, yeah. just hanging out there. Like that's, that's supposed to interfere. He doesn't want anyone to interfere yeah. with his stories because yeah. if he touched it, it would it would ruin his stories. Um, yeah, yeah I, the thing that got me excited about that is that maybe they're not going to put the Black Knight in the Avengers and maybe he's going to be part of a Midnight Suns type thing that they have yeah. going in the background with Blade acting as your uh, Nick Fury, your Batman, your Tony Stark mm-hmm. kind of thing where he's compiling all these heroes to fight whatever. I dig that. Um, yeah, Dark Side Threat or whatever. So that got me a little more excited about it and like mm-hmm. i don't know I, i'd love to see blade chew on kit harrington's dane whitman to be oh, honest with he you. was so, fine or, oh, yeah yeah or morbius or morbius because yeah. i don't know we, we, we <laughs> might be going there we might be going there but um i i, I agree well, i, I like that aspect sense, right the morbius yeah. Side. Mm-hmm. yeah definitely oh yeah definitely those two uh, are morbius tied spider-man together. yeah but i wouldn't be surprised too like eventually if we do get him actually like in the actual Avengers team, I guess in the MCU, like everybody pops up in the MC in, uh, in the Avengers, like big roundups, but um, yeah. cause in the comics, just because he's had such a big focus for the last like year and a half, two years in Jason Aaron's run. So we kind of got like two, like Jason Aaron nods. Cause we got the, uh, the blade reference. And then we got the celestial coming out of the ice. So I thought that was kind of a neat, a nice little Easter egg there. Yeah. Yeah. How about you guys? What did you guys think of the, yeah, it was final. It was fine. Like critics. I, I don't really have any problem with the Kit Harrington at this point, and I didn't catch it was Marshall Ali until I read it online afterwards. And I, mm-hmm. I'm with you guys that they should have been maybe a bit more in your face with it. And if they're gonna nod that way, I like I wasn't aware of any real connection between these characters, so it seemed like a a weird pairing. But mm-hmm. you know, I thought it was just gonna be let's open the box and him look at the blade, and that was gonna be it. But it's sure, like it seemed it was a little odd, but it seems like they're cramming a lot into this. <laughs> but again, it's it's it, 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 this escalation thing, right? It's two end credit scenes that they're not aligned, right? They're pointing in two totally different directions. Mm-hmm. Like you're getting this cosmic thing going on, mm-hmm. and you're getting this other like again, like this is almost like your fourth thread, right? Like going into the dark stuff, vampires, and all this, right? Um, sure, and that's what these are for, I guess. Is let's let's get some intrigue and when is this coming <laughs> it's true how about you Ian any thoughts on this last one man yeah I mean the same same as Tim like I think I mean I didn't really mind Kit Harrington. I think the the thing is like seen him through Game of Thrones you know when he, he kind of plays a serious ca- character and it's kind of you know he's kind of serious from the start we kind of got like rom-com Kit Harrington for the movie and then and then he comes in to play this serious role, and it's kind of hard to then say, "Oh, what, like look forward to him taking on this this role." But I mean, I guess he's quite fitting. I guess they're going with that whole with the Black Knight, of course, with his his past history as you know wielding a sword and stuff. And it, it, I think it could definitely work. But I definitely didn't get that that uh, the the voice. And yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like it's weird that they're cramming so much into this. It makes me wonder if there are if it is. You know, Marvel working alongside Sony, and if there is gonna be, if it's if this part is actually moving 
towards the the Sony side if he's going to be Morbius um, involved because I think that that probably does work a lot more and it'd be weird to to have vampires on on two sides and not have them Mm -hmm. interact or have some backstory yeah again like I'm not too familiar with this with the story but like isn't wasn't it Morbius who gave Blade his powers no 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 No, Blade's mom Blade's mom was uh, bitten so she, uh, I know that from the movie. Like, I thought in the comic books, Morbius bit Blade. No, because Morbius is uh, like a, like Morbius got his powers later. Mm-hmm. So Morbius got his powers through. I guess the movie kind of explains it, but he actually got his powers through like uh, research and and um, like yeah, basically kind of like yeah. Self, yeah. So basically like self inflicted. So he wasn't actually like a natural vampire, whereas Blade is like a natural vampire, but the Daywalker because he still has a bit of like the human oh, side where he's okay. not affected. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I thought I knew there was that. Like I know Morbius story, and I know he's the the living vampire. And I knew the, I know the the blade, the Daywalker side. I mm-hmm. thought there was some connection there, but yeah. I'm, well, they've always I'm played it up there, where Blade is just like so anti-vampire that he's just yeah. he, he goes on the attack. Like they've actually played Morbius to be almost like this sympathetic victim, where it's just like, <laughs> dude, leave me alone. Like why are you coming? Leave out? me alone. I don't want to. Be- <laughs> yeah, I'm not a real vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not part of the coven that like. Because that's, that's his thing with vampires, right? Is that, like, yeah. sometimes it's one of his minions and sometimes it's Dracula himself bit his mum. But because mm-hmm. he was in the womb, he has, like, the mm-hmm. vampirism, but yet the the ability to be a daywalker. So, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah. man. I get, here we are to our closing thoughts and letter grade. So, you know what? The last shall be first. Ian, first time through, man. Give us your final thoughts and a letter grade on this one. That's difficult. I think the the thing is, it seems like I've been quite negative on this. And to be honest, I still enjoyed it. And as I said, the second time I went through the movie, I did actually have a good time with it. Um, so, yeah, it's tricky. I'd probably give it maybe a... Uh, I don't know how you guys do it, but I guess for me, maybe B minus, maybe? B minus, I'll go with that. B minus. Troy the boy. Yes, sir. Lay it on me, man. Yeah, it's it's such a tough one, man. Because you know, as we go on, like I feel like I've been pretty harsh on this film, but I didn't think it was it was that bad. It's just my expectations somehow got higher than they were when I first went into the film. I got to give this a solid C plus. It's not the worst MCU film, but it's by far not the best. It's it's right in the middle. Um, it does have me a little bit worried with just the character development. I mean, the MCU's hit pretty hard with most of their ensembles, so I feel like they're going to bounce back after this. But my God, if we were to get an X-Men film with characters this stale, yeah. I would be like, give it back to Aviron and Fox or whoever. Let them do whatever. Hey, you know, Troy, I like what you're, what <laughs> you're saying here. We, we think we could do some good <laughs> things for the kids. We put them with the Venom and, you know, it'd be good. It'd be good. I like the Venom. Fair part. <laughs> the venom. <laughs> All right. You All right. A C plus. Timbo. All right. Give her, brother. I'm going to give this. No. I was going to start throwing out weird letters at you guys just to get you all riled up. But no, I, I think the one point I want to hit on this with, with all our reviews, and, and this doesn't change ever, is that I think that when we put the review goggles on, we have a tendency to, to pull the these things apart, like these this art and all this that people have worked on. And I think that the point that we're always trying to make is we, 
we say this stuff and we let it dangle, right? Like we don't have, we're not going to control how you guys think about a film, but it gives you something to think about. That's kind of the point. Invoke a bit of thought, invoke a bit of discussion, debate amongst the community in that. And then you guys can go off and make your own opinions. We're not going to force our opinions down your throats. We're just going to give you stuff to think about. So I don't think either any of us are being negative for the sake of being negative. It's it's the discussion that we're having, right? Um, So I want, I just want to put that out there, but I think, Walking into this, I felt I was going to say a B, but I think I'm going to land on a B minus for this one. Just after a discussion and some thought about some of the development and and that, I, I think a B minus is is a solid a solid grade for this one. So I'm going to leave it there. Yeah, um, for me, this one with the stoic characters and the way they built the movie there's a lot of issues and it it can be a bit of a slog to get through but at the same time there is an artistry and there is a humanity mm-hmm. to it that i think very much um transcends a bunch of movies within the MCU and for that it's got to get points for me and so like I gave Venom a C last time we were on, but I'm going to bump that one down to a C minus. And I think this one deserves the C where it's, it's by no means bad, but it's, I hate to do this, but it's, it's a better than average MCU movie, but it falls short when you compare it to just other films. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. to be quite honest with you, to go back to Troy's first point, that is how, Marvel Studios positioned this movie. This was our Oscar movie. This is our um, high caliber director. And this is where we take that step forward and where we're going to go head to head with like DC doing the Joker movie and with stuff like Dune and all these kind of things. And you couldn't keep your fingers out of the pie and this is what you get. So um, yeah, it's a solid C. Like I I think it's worth the watch. Is it something to go see in theaters? I, I don't know. Um, am I sold on more movies like these Celestials unless the Jacksons from the can you feel it video are coming to fight these guys I'm out but uh, (laughs) (laughs) but if that if that goes down like if Jackie Jackson is going to be thrown down with Airsham like in the can you feel it sign me up talk about setting a high bar for yourself I'm there (laughs) I'm not going to enjoy anything unless this (laughs) I love it though. <laughs> I want the Jacksons. <laughs> well, yeah, that's where we're at. And like Timbo said, you gotta. This is definitely one you gotta see for yourself. And you know, maybe our review will. I don't. I don't think we hammered on anything. Like we saw issues and we kind of talked about them, kind of thing. But yeah, there's no dogpiling here, and we kind of set you up to maybe set your expectations, so maybe you enjoy it more than we did because the the tea leaves were a little muddy this time heading into the theater but uh yeah there we go gentlemen that'll be it for our review of the eternals ian it was an absolute pleasure having you here for the first time of many and Mm -hmm. everybody's got to go check out what this guy is pumping on to our video space with the instagram and especially the youtube the killer mafex ben riley spider-man review that is up right now um much like Troy, the the only negative is that you've scared me away from doing any video content because you just crushed it, brother. 
No, thanks. Thank you so much, man. Like it's been, yeah. I mean, this is, of course, my first appearance, but this is definitely gonna be one of those ones to remember. It's a big moment for me. Uh, just hanging out with you guys is, you know, something special and, you know, super stoked, super happy that this is gonna be a regular thing. So yeah, so happy to be part of the team, part of the family, and you know, it's been a, a an absolutely amazing year for me. You know, I've being stuck away from my family, living in a foreign country, um, which, you know, it's it's tough. And I, I can honestly say I've actually really had a good year, a great year, actually, just because of the nerd room, because of the community that you've introduced me to, uh, to the great friends I've I've made um, through that community, and it's it's been an absolute pleasure. So, so you know, to be part of this team now, is uh man, it's it's amazing, dream come true. So thank you so much, and yeah, it's been a been a fun, it's been a blast, it's been a fun time. And I look forward to, to the next one. Excellent. And uh, because I don't have it all memorized, despite probably 50, 60, 70. Over 100, 100 episodes, episodes now, man. Timbo. <laughs> Timbo, take us home, brother. <laughs> all right. If you'd like to be a bigger part of this Eternals conversation, you can always email us at thenerdroom at gmail.com. You can find everything we do over at thenerdroom.net. The hunt is real. And it's over on Instagram. You can find everything that we're finding and discovering, both in stores and online over there. Twitter, you can find Ian and us discussing all sorts of Eternals. Disney Plus Day coming up here in a few short days, guys. Friday, we're going to get some Star Wars content, some MCU content, some Disney content. It's going to be a lot of fun next week to break that down. And so, yeah, make sure you go follow us over on Twitter and YouTube. Like Carlos said, we're building that content. We're committing ourselves to maybe one, well, at least one video drop a week between a few of us here and so we're gonna build that so go over there and subscribe and like and do all that youtube stuff over there that you need to get us bumped up a little bit more there so we can continue to pump these videos out both figure reviews unboxings gaming reviews nerd room tours all these type of things are going to be up there so go check that out and at a minimum give us a subscribe and so with all that being said ian thank you like carlos said so much for coming on we can't wait to your next appearance and with all that being said, for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. I'm a giraffe. <laughs> and I'm Ian. <laughs> and thank you guys so much for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts Tim, Troy, Sanjay, and Carlos on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, Sanjabi, and CDN Caped Crusade R. For more content from the Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to The Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you plug in. Use the hashtag WeTheNerd to keep up with the latest from The Nerd Room on Instagram and Twitter.